You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's scripture is Psalm 49. It's to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp shall not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praised when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good evening. Oh, it's like your mic's off now. Um, My name's Casey. I'm one of uh, the pastors here at Free City Church. And if you're with us for the first time, uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, We're really glad you're with us. We're right now, we're going through the Psalms. And uh, we're in the second book of the Psalms. We're at Psalms 49. And uh, it's a unique psalm that it sounds almost a little like a proverb, and there's a stark warning in it for us. And there's a word that we're going to have to deal with. This word is ransom. What can ransom a man? What can be paid for? And when I I look at that word, I I think of um, before uh, the Maddoxes and the Spurleys uh, came to Lawrence, and we, we came and started Free City, before that, uh, we, uh, the Maddoxes, we were south of Dallas uh, working with a church plant. I was a church planting resident, which sounded like a made-up thing, but, but it wasn't. Um, and one of my responsibilities was I was working with missions, developing a mission strategy. And we made a partnership 
with a, an orphanage in Matamoros, uh, Mexico. Uh, with, it's called the Matamoros Children's Home. And uh, we just started sending groups and teams there. And my last year there, I was only there for two years, but my last year there, we sent four teams there. And so four times that year, um, I took a group, smaller groups, uh, to Matamoros, Mexico to work with this just incredible ministry, the Matamoros Children's Home. And every time before I went, I, uh, I would watch the movie Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. And so I don't know if you've seen this, but it's a story where Denzel, he's kind of a, a, you know ex-military, has really suffered a lot. He's now an alcoholic, and he gets a job as a bodyguard for a prominent family who you'll find out is in some corrupted kind of stuff. But he gets a job as a bodyguard to protect the little girl you know, keep from being kidnapped. And, and the love of this little girl starts to change him, and he starts to kind of coach her in swimming, and he starts to open up. He starts to become alive, and then she's kidnapped, and he's shot in this process where he's kidnapped. And it's this moment of like, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to kill everyone. And then he does that. Like, he goes and he, like, kills anyone involved, and he just starts killing, because they, they, they ask for a ransom. And during the payment, it was dropped. And so a ransom is like, if you want someone you love to be alive, you have to pay this sum of money. And it does a weird thing to you if you watch this movie. Like, you start to really cheer for him. Like, you start to think that those are righteous kills. Like, they'll pro- those bad guys, they'll probably thank him for it later. But like, through that whole process, you're like, with this question, what would you not pay? For, for, for a loved one, what would you not pay to ransom them back? Would there be any sum of money that you wouldn't gladly give? And then it brings it even closer to home and it says, what can ransom a man from death? Like what we have, Psalms 49 is about what kind of payment can save your life. Is there a payment that's enough that can save your life? How much would you have to pay? How much would you have to pay to escape death? How much would you have to pay to escape eternity apart from God? How much is the ransom for your life? You know, we're we're currently in the second book of Psalms, and so it started in Psalms 42. And in Psalms 42 through 44, what, what it's dealing with is personal depression. Like personal, Psalms 42 and 43, personal depression and anxiety and fear. Like the Psalms ask this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And then he preaches this to his heart, hope in God. Like this teaches us something. We're going to have these moments when we're gripped with fear. We're going to have moments when we're unsure. And what we learn in the Psalms is like we have a need to preach to ourselves, to tell ourselves what's true. when we face fear, depression, anxiety in our souls, we're to be like the psalmist and preach the truth of God to our hearts. And then it picks up in Psalms 44, if you remember, it's a lamenting for the brokenness of a nation. When institutions fail, when cities fall apart, when the structures around your life fail, and it says this, like in Psalms 44, we have this at the end, it says, rise up. Come to our help. 
redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love on the basis of who you are, not on what we deserve. God, we need you to act on the inside of us and we need to act on the outside of us. There is brokenness out there and there is brokenness in here. We need you to act. And then we pick up through a series of Psalms, of Psalms 44 all the way through 48, where we see this procession of Psalms declaring what the answer to our inside brokenness is and our outside brokenness. And in Psalms 45, it's a coming king. And we learn that that coming king is going to set up a new eternal kingdom. And if we turn to him, we have a safe place to run in times of trouble. And then it starts to name those places. Like it is the city of God. It's found on Mount Zion. And in times of trouble, we run there. And it's the city of God and on Mount Zion. And it's a safe place because the presence of God is there. And then it tells us this. Like, Christian, if even in your fearful moments, you can run to where God dwells, and the New Testament tells us, Colossians 1, it tells us this, verse 19 and 20, it says, for in him, Jesus, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things inside of you, Outside of you, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We're reminded we have a place to run when calamity, depression, anxiety, when failings of structure happens. We have a place to go. It is where the the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And so then we get to Psalms 49. And in Psalms 49, you know, it exposes a mount that we so often run to. You know, we, we were warned that there's only one mount, that, that Mount Zion, there's only one place. We know as a hill of Calvary, there's only one certain place that we can run to. But there's so many other mounts that we run to. And then Psalms 49 gets real specific, and it tells us a place that we are prone to run to that can't save you is money. It just says real plain. Like it says, money can't save you. And if we keep with the progression here of the first book, what we have is there is brokenness on the inside and there is brokenness on the outside. And the king has come with a message. And it's saying, your money, the greatest works of your hands, the greatest works of the greatest hands, like we would have to offer, it can't save you. And yet, we so often think it can. We so often think it can. And so we're going to walk through this passage. This is how it's going to look. Like, we're just going to kind of build one really long run-on sentence. It's just going to say this. You could write this down. It says, money can't save you, but God can. And so, like, look at this. First off, we're going to see a warning for all people. Look at verse 1. It says, hear this, all people, like all people, like all people, it means all people. Like I know I took Hebrew one and Hebrew two and I barely passed them. I might've gotten put on academic probation for Hebrew two, but I am certain of this. When it says all people in Hebrew, it means all people in English. It means every people group. 
It says everyone needs to hear. Every people group, every language that's out there, everyone needs to hear this message. Like there is no culture or no language that doesn't need this message. It means all people. It means you. Like it means you, it means me. We need to hear this right where we are right now. This is an important message for me to hear. This means that there's a dangerous tendency in us. And it's a warning. It starts off, all people hear this. And then look, it keeps growing. Verse one, it goes on. Give ear. It's a command. All people hear this. Give ear. All inhabitants of the world. Like it's saying this emphatically. All people, all inhabitants of the world. Now look at verse two. Both low and high, both rich and poor together all inhabitants of the world, like all. You know, you, you would expect like right here, like scholars, like when they're writing on this, you know, someone who would have made a better grade in Hebrew would have expected what it says, all inhabitants of the world. Like the world, like you would expect a word used for world to be heiress, which means like the actual world, like the physical land, but it, it changes. It doesn't use the word to say physical world. It actually uses this word, halal, which means like life. And so it's saying like all in this life. Like this, I mean, I don't know if it was looking ahead and said, hey, maybe someday we'll have people like on a colony in Mars and I just want to encompass them. It is saying all who inhabit life. It's talking about the living you and the living me. All people need to hear this. A warning for all people. Both high and, and low, all who have breath, rich, poor, high and low, need to hear this message. Now listen, I, I love what it does in verse 3. It says, so he, he tells, he says, everyone needs to hear it. Then he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Like this, this, the psalmist had a great English teacher. A great English teacher that taught you how to write a great paper. Like, you tell people what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them, and then you tell them, I told you so. And so he says, listen, everyone needs to hear this. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. My mouth shall speak wisdom. Verse 3. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. That, that word is also where we get parable. He's like, I'm going to tell you something for life, something you need to know. I'm going to tell you how this world works and how it's supposed to work. I'm going to tell you what you believe that's not true, and then I'm going to tell you what actually is true. I'm going to hit you right where you are. I'm going to speak to your life. All people need to hear this. And then I, I love this. Look, look at the end of verse 4. He says, and I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Like, I, you know, that's like, I will answer the question with the sweet licks of my guitar or as my friend, like, beatbox with boots and cats. You know, boots and cats. I can't really do it, but that's how you learn, boots and cats. Like, he just says, I'm going to drop it for you, and I'm going to do it while I rock some heavy metal ballad. Like, I'm going to tell you how life is, but how life is supposed to be. All people. It's a warning for all people. It's a warning for you. And then it's going to open up. What is that? What is the warning? And it's going to tell us it's a warning for all people of the corrupting nature to trust in money. Like look at verse five. 
Verse 5, so after he does his heavy metal ballad right here, he says, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me to those who trust in their wealth? That's the warning. People trusting in wealth. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. This says you and I are in danger of looking at all the trouble in your world, all the trouble in my world, and trusting in a lie that money would or will keep me safe. Like, like look at some of these phrases. Like the first one, you see like iniquity. That's in verse 5. You know, it, it's translated iniquity. It, it comes from a very common word used for sin. And there's, there's like several words in the Old Testament, the New Testament that are used for sin. This one is translated usually as iniquity or sometimes just sin or sometimes as wickedness. It actually has this idea of a bentness in you. There's something bent in you that keeps, no matter how hard you try, it keeps kind of steering you to one direction. And so it's saying there is an iniquity. There is something in us, a bentness in our soul, that when it comes to money, it always kind of pulls us in one direction. All people, you need to know about a bentness in your soul that constantly is pulling you in one direction. And then it goes on, this next part, it's kind of a really tricky translation. And so I, I, I didn't do it myself. Remember, I barely passed Hebrew, but I didn't do it myself. But the, the books that I wrote, they did it for me. And they said, this is really tricky. And so it, it looks like that phrase, those who cheat me, that actually comes from one word. Those who cheat me, cheat me comes from one word, akeb, and it actually means heals. And so the literal translation right here would say like this idea of why should I fear when the iniquity of my heels encompass me? And like the same word is used in Genesis 3.15 where we have the, the first gospel, the proto-evangelion. Right after the fall, God has come. The earth has been cursed. He's dealing with Satan. He's dealing with the man. He's dealing with the woman. And he gives a promise of salvation to come. He looks at her. He looks at Eve and he says, listen, from you... From your line, there will be a seed, singular. He, from you, he, there will be a seed that will come and he will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise his heel, the same word. And so it's this picture of like something is biting at my heels. It's always at me. And so this takes it kind of like out here. The translation that we have says, hey, People are surrounding me. They're trusting in their money. They have the resources to hurt me. But like it's also more personal. There's a limp that I carry. There's not just a bentness in them. There's the same bentness in me. The same iniquity, the same pulling in me that has to deal of my beliefs in money. Like, like yes, this definitely is saying like, we see and you can experience oppression from others who think because they have money or power, they have special rights over others who don't. Like, do we not see that in the world? Like, we see that. Like, you know, in verse 6, like, look back at verse, it says, those who trust in their wealth and boast about the abundance of their riches. Like the psalmist is being surrounded by people who trust and boast in wealth. Like they're prone to use their wealth to pass over and to hurt others. But I, I think this should also be more personally. Like this is 
this cheating heel, like follow me, this cheating heel clings to all of us like a permanent limping injury. See, sometimes it affects, the effects of it are upon us. And we think because what we've acquired or what we've done, like we think we deserve something above someone else because they haven't acquired as much. Sometimes that's how it affects. Sometimes, sometimes it's an overcompensating bitterness that excuses all other sins because what others have and what we don't have. Like, it's not just out there, it's also in here. And remember, it says, hear this, all people, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Like, all people be warned, there's a corrupting nature to trust in money that is in all of us. It's clinging to us like a wounded heel. It's a bentness that pulls us every time we think about the security that money brings or the right that it gives. And so first, it's a warning to all. Second, it's about this corrupting nature to trust in money. And then third, it's the belief that money can save you, but it can't. Like, like look at what it says in verse 7. It says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Like ransom, the price of life. Like this is, this is what we see. Like you see it in movies, but like this is what people do. Like this actually happens. People are kidnapped and a price is placed upon their life because people know like, what would you not give? What tangible thing would you not give to secure the life of a loved one or to secure the breath in your lungs? And when it comes, it's asking this question. Look, 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 go down to verse 8. It says, For the ransom of their life is costly. Like it just says it, it's expensive. And then it goes on and it says, And can never suffice. Like just stop. Do you hear what that's saying? This is saying that in the moment of decision, when it comes to your life or the life, you would give all that you have. But then it's saying this, you don't have enough. What you have doesn't suffice. It's not enough. And then, I don't want you to miss it. Look back at verse 7. Because the question is, who do we need to pay? Look back at verse 7. Whom must be paid? It says, give to God. This is saying there's a predicament in us that no amount of money could ever save us or to pay God to give us what we need. Like, we don't have enough. Verse 9, it opens that up a little bit where it says that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Like, will any amount of money stop death? Can any amount of money gain eternal life? And yet we run to it. And then look how it builds up. Verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling place to all generation, though they are called lands by their own name. Like this gives us three categories of people that die. It says the wise. 
Like, if you are smart, you will die and leave all that, of that saving power that money promised. You'll leave it all behind to others. This says if you're a fool, like this says if you are like stupid, you will die maybe earlier. Like if you do dumb things, you might die earlier. So you might die, but you will leave all the saving power of your money to others. But it also says, you don't see this word, it also says the great. Even if you do great things with your money and have monuments, it says lands named after you, have monuments. Museums named after you, buildings on a campus named after you, like even states named after you. Even if that's the case, all the saving power of the greatness that was amassed by your hands, all the saving power of your wealth is not enough. It does not suffice. And then kind of a verdict statement in verse 12 where it says this, man in his pomp, in his arrogance, man in his pomp will not remain He is like the beast that perish. You know, the word right there that's translated not remain, this is the same word, it's yalin, it's used to describe like a night stay in an inn. And so this is saying, the greatest of splendor humanity can grasp, a legacy, amassing wealth, a name of charitable goods, like what you do, like where the city has to name something after you because of all that you did. All that could be amassed. It can't even book one more night's stay to stay off death. This is a warning to all that about the corrupting nature to trust in money that can't save you or the ones that you love. And now look at verse 13 because it says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, trusting wealth to to stop death, and it doesn't. And it picks up, it says, yet after them, people approve of their boasts. And this is what's so scary. Like this is a warning. It's a warning to us that even if we see that played over and over, like we go to a funeral and we see that they didn't take anything with them. All the money didn't stop death. It didn't stop it. Like we see that over and over. And yet, look at what it says. And yet after them, people approve of their boast. It means that even though we see it over and over, the bentness, the sin, the iniquity in us, the bentness of our soul when it comes to money, we see it fail people, but we think, yeah, but it won't fail me. We still approve of their boast. Like, have you, have you seen people like with this bentness of heart for money that, that can't save them? Have you witnessed people surround others thinking that, hey, because of what I have and what you don't have, I have more of a right to life? Like, do we see that in our culture? Do you, have you witnessed that in your own heart? as you limp through this world so prone to run to money to save you or to justify your worth on having it, the very basis of it, like, this is a message. This is a warning. And if you don't see it, you're in the most danger. Like, if you're, if you're blind to it, then you say, no, 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 man, I'm not greedy. You are in the most danger Like the word of God is saying, this is a warning for all people about the corrupting nature to trust in money that can't save you. It can't book one more night to stay off death. 
And then it tells us because only God can ransom and save. Like verse 14, it says, Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the next generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, we saw this in verse 14, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. Through, through those verses, there's just I want to point out one truth, and then I want to point out one choice. So first, like one truth, we saw this in verses 7 through 8, and then we see it again in verse 15. So look back at 7 and 8. It says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. It says it will never be enough. Like that's a truth. It will never be enough. And then in verse 15, we get this incredible promise, But God... But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me, Selah. Like nothing can do, nothing is enough to ransom you from the slavery of your sin or to make you acceptable to God, except God. Like that word ransom, like we see that in the Exodus account where God comes to announce to his people. He says, I will ransom them. I will take them from this cruel slavery. And like, just imagine like when Moses shows up, you have been a slave for 400 years. That means like your father's father, 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 times 12, like 12 generations, you've known nothing of freedom. And all of a sudden someone shows up and says, I have the price to pay for your freedom. You don't even know what that freedom is. You couldn't even imagine like what would amass that kind of thing. See, all they knew was a cruel slavery. And suddenly in front of them is this promised freedom that they would be ransomed. Their lives would be bought away from a cruel slavery. See, our position is all that we've known is the bondage of sin, the corruptness of beliefs that we hold, a bentness in our soul. And this specifically is talking about what you think money can do for you, a bentness that constantly pulls you, that you think this will protect me, this will save me, this will take care of my problems. And it's saying this is like a wounded heel that is constantly tripping you through this life. But God can Nothing else can save you, but God can ransom you. And then we also see a choice. We see the truth, but we see a choice. And the choice is this. It's kind of hidden, but the choice is this. Who will be your shepherd? Look, look at verse 14. In verse 14, it says, Like sheep, they are appointed for sure. So like sheep, you're appointed for death. Like that's, that's the way we're going. But look at this. It says, Death 
shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule them in the morning. Like, like the picture is obviously extending, or I think obviously extending into this like eternal life picture. Like death will come to all of us, but one people they've chosen, like death is their shepherd, but the righteous, like they'll rule in the morning. Night will come. The night of death will come, but the righteous will be delivered. And we find out how because of, but God will ransom them. You know, this is one of the few places in Scripture, I've been reading Jeremiah, so it also happens in Jeremiah, where it talks about death creeping at their window. This is one of the few places where death is personified, and it's, it's personified as, as a shepherd. You see, when death is your shepherd, like you make all the decisions of your life based on, is it going to give me more life? Or will it be risky? Like, like, have we not seen that? Like, like, like COVID has happened and like it's a thing that we see and we feel and it starts to get into all the decisions. Like we have opportunities to go like maybe be with loved ones and we're like, man, I don't know. I mean, it starts to be our shepherd for how we make rules for life. And I'm not saying like go to the frat party. I'm not saying that. The police can arrest you now for that, all right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like you, you shouldn't do wise things. I'm saying that sometimes it starts to, death becomes the only thing. Will it give me more life? It doesn't talk about meaning. It doesn't talk about others. It doesn't talk about the mission of God. It just talks about how do I save myself? And without God and without belief in eternal life, this life is all you have. Death will be your shepherd. But there's another choice. There's another choice. There is another shepherd. We read about him in Psalms 23. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." And in John 10, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The only way to keep death from being your shepherd and for being enslaved to running to things that you know can't save you, but a bentness in your soul keeps running to those things anyways, is to know another shepherd, is to know Jesus as the good shepherd, who laid down his life as a ransom for you. This is the only way to be acceptable to God. The only ransom that is enough for your life is the death of God himself, Jesus. Do you know that voice? Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we come and 
we're, we're reminded again that we are prone to run to a lot of different mounts. Lord, and one, that there's a bentness in all of us that we run, we just start to think, man, possessions will make me happy. Possessions will keep me safe. Possessions will get me into the right places. And Lord, when we find ourselves maybe in those right places, I mean, I was reminded of a pastor's prayer that that I read. Like when we find ourselves in some of those places, we start to think much of ourselves. Look what I've accomplished. And so, Lord, we need help. And so, God, Lord, I pray that we could run to the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the only acceptable ransom for our souls. And, Lord, like this says, in the morning to come, the righteous will be standing. With your heads down, your eyes closed, like we just always want to make available for you if you, if you want to pray with someone. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. Like one of the reasons that might be this is that people have hurt you like because you don't measure up in, in your success or what you've done or the trajectory of your life, like sometimes it's, man, people have hurt me and it makes me think, man, if I only have more, then they'll respect me. If I achieve more, then they'll love me. Like that bitterness, that the bentness of money that, can sa- that can't save you, the bentness of that belief, that bitterness is a gripping thing. And so if that's you, like we just invite you either pray with someone next to you or come to one of the sides over here. Just ask someone to pray for you. Or it's just a realization that, man, I, I seem to think I'm more valuable than others because of what I've done or what I've accomplished. Like that's a gripness also. Like it's gripping. Like the confession is just to say that's in me more than I realize. I need God to save me from that. Whether it's pride or, or bitterness Or if all of a sudden you're realizing, man, death does shepherd me and I need to trust the good shepherd, Jesus. If that's you, we have people that want to pray for you. Father, Lord, we love you and we need you. And Lord, money entangles us. You talk about money so much. Jesus, you talked about it so much because you know it grips us and entangles us. Lord, save us from our beliefs about money. In Jesus' name, amen.